Great. So as you guys are taking your seat, uh, I'm just going to introduce Natalie. She'll be talking about cyber risk. We've had quite a number of the previous uh, speakers just touch on it, but Natalie's going to flesh it out for us. She's the expert uh, in that space. So Natalie is the CEO of uh, Wilshire South Africa, and she's uh, had extensive involvement in all aspects of the insurance chain, including purchase and management of reinsurance programs and underwriting some of South Africa's uh, market uh, reinsurance treaties and reinsurance broking. And uh, she's got uh, uh, deep experience in cyber risk, so we're very excited to hear what she's got to say for, for us today. So thanks, over to you Natalie. Uh, thanks very much Neil, thanks everybody. Um, yeah, the pressure is on. <laughs> I have the after lunch slot, uh, uh, so I presume all the blood is flowing to your stomachs. Um, and therefore, I'm going to be starting off with uh, a video clip, which will hopefully just bring home, uh, you know, what emerging risks companies are facing nowadays, um, you know, and, and how the, the, the risk landscape has really evolved for organizations in the, in the last couple of years. So the, the video is courtesy of Deloitte. Apologies, I'm not able to maximize the screen, but uh, I, I hope you can all see. Um, and now the internet is slow. <laughs> the internet has opened up a world of opportunities for businesses like ours. Businesses at the cutting edge of technology. We know the world's most high-profile companies inside out. Companies like yours. Who are we? Your worst nightmare. Sophisticated cyber attack. I can't take all the credit. We had a little help from Jim. Oh, hello. One of your managers. Yeah, yeah, yes, thanks. Thank you. Jim kindly loaded up two lodges to be seen. emails, giving us direct access to his mailbox and password. Jim was giving us a lot of information. Access to business contacts, emails from work colleagues. Jim's the outgoing type.
Ali, and I see. You look like a privileged yeah. human. Hello. Hi, yes, this is Ellie. Okay, thank you. Yeah, no problem. I think I'm in there. Well, thanks, Ellie, for welcoming our custom malware into your system. We're looking forward to working closely alongside you over the next few months. There's no hurry. We have all the time in the world. After all, no one knows we're there. We shouldn't be able to reach the lab environment from here. But then why complain if we can't? Well, availability testing doesn't apply to the internal servers. I thought not. Default password. Who forgets to change that? We have access to all your networks. We're in the database, mapping systems, circumnavigating firewalls across the business. Oh, and did I mention we're going global on this one? Je l'enverrai tout de suite. Merci. Confidential documents, personal and financial data belonging to thousands of people throughout the business from anywhere in the world. We know your secrets. He doesn't know what's hitting or his business. IT is trying to work it out. All systems stay offline for days while they assess the extent of the attack. PR are working overtime on damage limitation. Investors abandoned ship. The board realized that the game has changed. They thought they knew the risks. Out of the sudden. Who the hell is responsible? Working at the heart of your business has been an invaluable experience. Good to know the door's always open. The video demonstrates a, a couple of very um, interesting points, uh, not least of which that the, probably the weakest entry point into any organization is uh, people themselves, um, your staff. 
So just um, maybe recapping a little bit uh, what risks actually emanate from such incidents. Um, and I think in this case, it's maybe more important not to refer to it as a cyber incident necessarily, but uh, an information security breach, because it doesn't necessarily have to involve anything overly sophisticated. Um, companies can be exposed via um, paper documents. Uh, th there are many points of entry into into a company's um, you know inner workings. So. I'm going to sort of speak more to information security rather than cyber specifically. Um, but obviously, I mean, one of the, the most obvious consequences of um, these types of incidents is system unavailability and downtime. So you've obviously got attacks on companies' um, systems like denial of service attacks and things like that where the systems go down as part of the attack. Um, but even with uh, the, the more stealthy information security breaches, often companies have to take their systems offline in order to conduct investigations. Um, so there you actually, you're doing it yourself, however it still has major ramifications for the, the organization. Um, consequences of, of such incidents are obviously loss of revenue, um, your data may become corrupted, damaged or destroyed, and then you obviously also lose competitive advantage. Um, one has to respond to an incident, and obviously this doesn't come free. Um, there are costs which have to be incurred. Um, so I suppose the first thing is generally a forensic investigation where, as I mentioned, you bring the systems down um, and you have to conduct extensive investigations and the specialist fees uh, are not cheap. Um, you would potentially need to affect any parties which have been affected by such an incident and offer them certain remediation services. Um, all of this obviously also takes uh, time and, and costs money. Um, as um, was demonstrated in the video clip, you might have to conduct a public, re public relations campaign in order to minimize any reputational damage. Um, and then lastly, there might also be um, you know, legal implications and consequences for you. So you might be involved in the defense and settlement of third party claims. Um, I think we touched on reputational damage and the litigation. And then going forward within the South African environment, you might also be facing um, fines and penalties. Once Poppy has commenced fully, um, you could uh, face up to 10 million rand in fines, um, depending on the sort of the extent of an incident and the level of negligence involved. Um, also, depending on what industry you're in, you might also have to, um, uh, you might have fines and penalties enforced upon you. Um, for example, PCI DSS, so your credit card stand, um, your global credit card standards, which need to be upheld by merchants. There, you can also um, have to pay fines and penalties for incidents. So, so how has this really all come about? Um, because I mean, we've companies have been holding data for for a long time. I mean, it's not really anything new. I think. Uh, Criminals have just, uh, you know, progressed to a, a new level where they realize that um, data is actually of value and possibly has surpassed the value of a company's physical assets. Um, so just to give you an idea of sort of cyber criminal activity uh, in recent times, the, the latest stats uh, for 2014 um, come from the Norton Internet Security Threat Report. Um, during 2014, 974 million records, uh, individual records, were compromised. That equates to 31 records per second. Um, the estimated global cost, or the estimated cost of the, the global economy of cybercrime is $400 billion, um, which, if it were a nation, would place at 27th um, based on uh, GDP. The estimated cost to the South African economy of cybercrime um, is estimated to be in the region of 5.8 billion rand, which is also not uh, insignificant. Um, 
What I think is particularly scary is the fact that most organizations take on average about half a year before they've actually even detected a breach of their systems. And in 81% of the incidents, the breach hasn't been detected internally, but has rather been brought to the attention of the organization by an external party, such as a customer or service provider. Um, so, so what is data actually worth? Uh, you'll see at the diagram at the bottom, um, sort of on average, uh, an individual record, depending on the nature of the record itself, will fetch about $30 on the black market. So we'll see later on in some of the real world uh, incidents, which I'll be discussing, how much this can then potentially fetch cyber criminals and why it's such a lucrative business. Um, but obviously, I think the reason why we're becoming more and more susceptible to such types of attacks is the fact that uh, you can't really uh, escape technology. I mean, that is what is driving a company's progress. And everybody is trying to sort of, um, you know, compete for that first place in terms of, you know, latest technological developments. Um, the world has actually become a village and everything is interconnected. Um, you've all heard the terms big data, Internet of Things. Um, it's just making companies ever more vulnerable to these types of incidents. So, I mean, this is a fairly uh, obvious slide, but nevertheless, you, you often get asked, well, who would be targeted? Um, and the reality of the matter is it probably affects most organizations. As anybody who would be storing and processing sensitive data or personally identifiable information, so anyone with customer records or bank accounts relating to their customers, or service providers, uh, corporate information, there are very few organizations, I think, who could claim that they don't have any information which is of interest or value. Um, obviously, also companies who are very reliant upon their systems in order to conduct day-to-day -day business are particularly susceptible. Anyone conducting e-commerce, selling things online, providing any types of online services. Um, and what is becoming a, a, an increasingly sort of, or an emerging trend is that nowadays companies who are reliant on sophisticated machinery, which is also uh, connected and controlled remotely, are also becoming uh, targets for these types of attacks. But I think this is generally also bordering more on a sort of cyber terrorism type element uh, where critical infrastructure is being targeted and often it's one na nation attacking another nation. So you often see the Chinese are trying to compromise U.S. Um, critical infrastructure organizations and vice versa. So just to give you an idea, because another question that one often gets asked is, well, you know, surely hacking is actually quite a, a difficult thing and, you know, you need a, a certain level of skill in order to be a, a good cyber criminal. Um, that is becoming increasingly less the case because you can actually quite readily find automated hacking kits on the internet, which are sold for, as you can see, relatively, I mean, they're quite affordable. I mean, most of us would be able to probably buy some of these kits. Um, so it's all sorts of things like malware kits and um, key, um, key loggers and password crackers, all any tool you can think of, there's probably one which is commercially available on the dark web. And then what's really nice is you can sometimes get a package deal, as you can see on the right, where you can buy you know, a couple for a, a significantly discounted price. So it, it really, it's becoming more and more easy uh, for one to pursue this as a career. Um, and 
cyber criminals and hackers, it's almost becoming like a, a proper commercial organization. You know, they probably have a company set up and, you know, with employees and whoever is the highest bidder will basically, you know, be able to get their services. That might be, I suppose, a software company who wants to know what its latest vulnerabilities are. But on the other hand, it might also be, a, you know, a criminal ring who, who wants them to infiltrate an organization. Um, this one, I had to. I thought I had to include something a little bit more actuarial, so I included um, the return on investment <laughs> of these types of attacks. So this specific one is is a. a um, um, now I can't think of the word. Like crypto locker, where they come in a ransomware ransomware campaign. So basically, here you can see that. Um, the, the, the cost of actually conducting such a campaign amounted to $5,900. Um, but then the return on or the, the revenue which they made as a result of the campaign amounted to $90,000. And you see the assumptions made here are not even that unreasonable. I mean, they're only assuming an infection rate of 10%. Um, and then companies actually willing to pay out a ransom of 0.5% with a ransom amount of $300, which is not even that high. And they only had to run this campaign for 30 days, so for a month. And the return on investment is a whopping 1,425%. So I think it's, it's quite a lucrative industry to be going into. So another, another comment that often is made is, oh, but I'm, I'm a small organization. You know, I'm probably sort of off the radar. Hackers aren't really interested in me, or are they? Um, so <laughs> the thing is, hackers don't really care. They don't really bother to differentiate. They're basically just scouring the internet for any types of vulnerabilities, and they don't really care whether it's a small organization or a large organization, as long as they can get their hands on some data. So what often happens is the, the smaller organizations don't have the kind of IT spend and infrastructure that the larger organizations do, so they end up being more vulnerable, um, and therefore they do end up experiencing more attacks. Obviously, the larger organizations hold a lot more information, which is of interest and of value, so their attacks tend to be more severe. However, they do have the budgets to be able to survive such attacks. The same generally can't be said for the smaller organizations. Um, and what we've seen in the States over the last two years or so is that sort of more than two-thirds of the companies, the small companies, are actually closing doors after such an incident. They just can't afford all the consequential costs. Um, another thing is that phishing attacks are often directed at the smaller companies because, once again, um, the employees are potentially maybe um, not as aware or haven't been trained as well as the larger um, companies' employees, so they're more susceptible to these types of attacks and more likely to click on all sorts of funny links. Um, so yeah, the, the last point I've already said, where the smaller companies have more incidents, although they are less severe. So again, how is this of re relevance to South Africa? Um, you know, we're not sort of the US or China, we're not amidst the whole, you know, we're not in the middle of the cyber war that is potentially going on. Um, so at the moment, there's no legal obligation to actually report incidents that occur locally. And this makes it difficult for us to actually know what the true extent of these types of incidents is. Um, I think companies are very tempted to just sweep them under the carpet um, so as not to attract any you know, um, media coverage uh, um, and just keep things quiet. I mean, if you experience fraudulent activity on one of your accounts, you're not going to know where that criminal got hold of your information from. Um, but with Poppy, that is all going to be changing because it's going to enforce 
uh, mandatory notification upon companies. So you are going to, in future, once this is in full swing, be receiving letters from Edgars telling you that they're very sorry, but someone managed to get their hands on your information or from the banks. Um, so going forward, you will have more power as the consumer. You'll potentially know that, it, you know, you can narrow it down to sort of one of five companies that you do business with that potentially lost your data during the course of the last year. Um, as I mentioned, uh, companies can also then um, be subject to fines and penalties depending on the severity of the incident and the, and the level of negligence involved. So, yeah, the, I mean, Poppy is really there just to try and protect the consumer going forward. Um, we are part of a global online marketplace, so we are as susceptible or as attractive to criminals as any other uh, country. You know, we are no different. Um, and what is really scary is that we have one of the highest average phishing uh, rates in the world. I think you all have received um, multiple emails, you know, notifying you of uh, that you've won the US lottery. I, I think I've probably won it about 10 times now. Um, or that you have a long lost relative in Nigeria who died and happens to be leaving you there millions of rands. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, I'm sure we all receive these emails on a regular basis. Um, so I, I think that that statistic or that um, comment there at the bottom is not that far-fetched. <coughs> Okay, so what are the common causes of incidents? Number one, as you can see by the picture there, is people. Okay. So, so the first two, accidents and mishaps, generally by employees, um, but obviously could also be external parties, as well as then intentional acts um, by employees. Um, then there's also the unauthorized access element, so your hackers, malicious software, etc., all the clever people that are trying to break in. And then lastly, um, third-party access. So this is really, um, you know, the service providers you make use of um, who have access to your environment and who also unwittingly, you know, or purposefully leave the back door open. In terms of accidents and mishaps, um, how easy is it to, to lose a laptop or an iPad or have it stolen out of your vehicle? Um, it really isn't that difficult. I think we've probably all done something similar, or, or for that matter, losing paper records um, or you know not disposing of them properly. Um, it's, it's very easy um, to to compromise a company's information. Um, another one is unsecured Wi-Fi hotspots. I think we're all um, quite happy just to hook up to any Wi-Fi network that we can find, um, especially here where internet is an or it's an expensive thing in South Africa. Um, Accidental disclosure, I think we've all um, probably been guilty of sending the email to um, the wrong John <laughs> or the wrong Jane. It's not that difficult to do. Um, then another big problem is um, password protocols within companies. Um, this is a, a real weak point. Um, and what is even worse is that people often use the same password across multiple sites. So if a, if a cyber criminal manages to compromise one password, they've probably compromised most of your passwords. Um, and then the last one is also just leaving your devices lying around and unlocked for anybody to pick them up and have a look what's on there. Sorry. Um, so then there's also malicious acts by employees. I think this is potentially quite, quite a big risk for South Africa. Um, how easy would it be to bribe, I don't know, a lady who cleans the offices or one of the employees who's not earning a huge salary to go and install some type of malware onto the company's systems? Um, or let you in, you know, into the office and so that you can go and do those things yourself. Um, 
you might even ask them to download you know a customer database for you and pass it on to you um, or giving you information regarding login details and passwords um, so I think we are probably even more exposed to this than other places in the world um, another thing that I think happens quite commonly here is that employees take information along with them when they leave a company um, how often do you create a backup of all your old emails or an archive and take it with you when you go to your new employer another thing is also um, not changing the credentials of a person after they leave so that they can or, or not disabling their access so if they were fired and they want to take some sort of malicious action against you it would be best advised that you disable people's accounts sort of straight away off after they've left so then this this is a um, an uh, um, infographic put together by Trustwave um, they do a lot of forensic investigations they also have a lot of um, sort of security IT security offerings um, which they make available locally um, so number one biggest um, problem is pathetic passwords so you'll also see later on um, one of the incidents the most commonly used passwords for that particular in that particular case where I think one two three four five six and password so and, and another thing that um, often isn't done within a company is changing default passwords so that's one of the easiest ways to get in for a, cr a criminal is just to try and use default passwords of certain applications and often they'll they'll be able to get in that way then number two peeping ROM so this is where you you know leave stuff on display on your on your machine or you leave paper lying around on your desk for everyone all in sundry to see when they pass your desk number three USBs so this is exactly like um, you know in the video clip that I showed you in the beginning of the presentation 60% of users who find a, U a random USB stick lying around will plug it into their devices I think that's absolutely shocking and it, that percentage increases to 90% when the USB has a like a, legit, a legitimate logo on it so I mean it's, it's actually it's terrible um, and and 35% of users have have uh, notified or have have um, reported a virus infection uh, post plugging in a USB stick um, then we've already discussed phishing reckless abandon so this is losing your devices and what's very important here is at least please just password protect the devices I don't know how many of you've got a password on your cell phones or your iPads Okay, well, this is, but this is a good room. But sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I do this presentation and, you know, you'll probably have like a tenth of the people sticking up their hands, which is really quite frightening because you can then pick up the device and, and basically, you know, have access to everything that's on there. Um, so here they say, yeah, 89% of people who find lost devices will rummage through the digital contents. So, yeah, just, just beware. <coughs> And then obviously social networking is also a big, a big issue. Um, I think it's something that companies are struggling to control and can't really put a stop to nowadays, especially because often social media is a very important part of their marketing campaign in any event. Um, so, but yeah, I think it, another statistic that I saw somewhere, something like a third of social network users will fall victim to some form of cybercrime. Um, and I'm sure, I don't know how many of you, at one stage there was a, a Facebook scam going around where uh, you would get second invitations from existing friends. And I think it's because the criminals had like spoofed a lot of people's profiles and then resent invites to their existing friend network and thereby gaining access to those individuals, you know, information which wasn't freely available to, to non-friends. 
Um, and then the last one is hooking up with another man's Wi-Fi. So we've already discussed that, you know, how people love yeah, connecting wherever they are and, and not checking whether it's legitimate or not, um, because it's fairly easy for a, a cyber criminal to set up a sort of a spoof uh, Wi-Fi uh, hotspot, you know, so if you're at Mug and Bean and, and, and you're supposed to be logging onto Mug and Bean 1 and you log on to Mug and Bean 2, it's easy enough to do and you wouldn't know any better. I mean, when I came here, I saw there was what, Glenhove 1, Glenhove 2, Glenhove 3, there could have been a Glenhove 4 with a guy sitting outside in the parking lot, you know. Next one is unauthorized access. So these are all the more sophisticated techniques, your hacking, malware, including mobile malware. So mobile malware is obviously exploding with the proliferation of mobile devices nowadays. I mean, and again, I think South Africa is very prone to this because uh, everybody has a cell phone and nowadays most cell phones come, come with internet access. So, you know, whereas in the past the internet penetration was very, very low, I'm sure it's increasing quite dramatically. Um, and yeah, and I think Android is Android is more prone to mobile malware than than um, Apple software. Although that's also changing because Apple devices are also everywhere nowadays. Social engineering attacks. So this is um, you know where someone sends. It, it's it's kind of like the lotto or the Nigerian relative or those kind of things. Although they're crafting them more and more cleverly nowadays. Um, it's not that difficult to get a fairly good picture of uh, the inside workings of an organization. Again, if you just check an employee's um, you know, profile on Facebook, LinkedIn, you'll see who the friends are, who the colleagues are. You might even um, be able to access photos from the office party, which was held at the office's location, so you even know what it looks like on the inside. So it's quite easy to then start crafting an email that seems very legitimate to the person in question. Um, so your passwords, we've already discussed. And then also, um, you know, website attacks. So here you've got things like watering hole attacks where you, um, if you're able to sort of monitor a company's um, internet usage or the favorite sites which are visited, you can sort of, you can go and embed malware into those websites and you basically just hang around hoping that someone's going to click on the link, like win a free trip to Italy, just enter here, you know, that sort of thing. Third-party access, this is becoming more and more of a problem. Um, so companies are often very good at controlling their own environments, but then it's quite frightening what sort of access they might give to um, third-party service providers who come and do um, you know, work for them. So often these access protocols are much less secure than those imposed on the employees themselves. Um, there's very poor credential management. Um, again, you might have malicious um, staff members uh, of that third-party service provider, so it's not necessarily your own employees that are rogue, but theirs. Um, and this is actually, um, th there's an example of a breach um, that was uh, that basically started via a third-party service provider that's Target, which we'll be discussing in a little bit more detail um, in a later slide. Okay, so here are the examples of incidents. So how many of you have heard of the Target incidents, otherwise known as Nightmare Before Christmas? Yeah, so this happened in the last quarter of 2013. Um, and basically, I think somehow the cyber criminals managed to gain access to, uh, I think it was an aircon servicing company who was doing work on behalf of Target. And so they first attacked that, uh, that company, and then via that company, they managed to find an unsecure um, 
entry point into Target itself. So Target is a, a very large U.S. retailer. So you can imagine the type of uh, records that they hold. Obviously, credit card details, debit card details, really nice, juicy stuff, you know, that'll fetch quite a bit on the black market. So I think as a result of that, and that this breach carried on again for quite a while. So it was a stealthy operation, and I think they only detected it um, after about three or four months. There were red flags raised right in the beginning of the breach, but um, the problem is that often sort of these automated monitoring tools, um, IT security monitor monitoring tools, will raise false red flags all the time. And that then also desensitizes companies to these sorts of things. So after a while, it's, you can't look at each and every single red flag which is being raised and you just start ignoring some. So that's what happened with Target. And then they only actually picked up that it was a legitimate breach quite a while later. 110 million records were compromised, of which 40 million were credit and debit card details. Um, what happened in that fourth quarter is they, they experienced a 46% drop in their profits as compared with the um, prior year's fourth quarter results, uh, just because of this incident. So here you've got a, a good example of how it can really, um, you know, tangibly affect your, your income as a company. Um, of the 40 million card details which were compromised, um, they estimate that between one and three million were sold successfully on the black market. And that translates into an income of approximately 54 million to the hackers in question. Um, so it also cost the company about $200 million to reissue a lot of the credit cards. Um, and as a result, both the CEO and the CIO stepped down because of all the sort of reputational drama surrounding the breach. Then I'm sure you've all heard of Ashley Madison. That one's a little bit more recent. So it's been doing the, doing the rounds in the news over the last couple of weeks. 37 million records were compromised. Um, of that, 15,000 of the email addresses uh, belong to government and military individuals. <laughs> so, um, but that being said, there was no need to actually confirm the email address when you signed up. So there might actually be some innocent victims involved where maybe a friend of yours decided to play a practical joke on you and signed you up to Ashley Madison. And now as a result, you've got divorced and your, your, your sort of your settlement, your divorce settlement has bankrupted you, which would be uh, really not funny. Um, they're fi facing a $567 million class action suit as a result. Um, in Canada, so far, there have been two unconfirmed suicides. Today, I read in the news that there was another suicide, a pastor, um, who was outed after the whole incident. I think he was in, in the U.S. Um, 1,200 Saudi Arabian email addresses were compromised or were disclosed, and their adultery can be punished uh, by death. So, I mean, that's quite, quite a severe consequence for these poor buggers. Um, <laughs> again, the CEO stepped down. Yeah, I don't know. They just washed their hands. Sorry, I'm out of here. Um, and uh, the most common passwords that were really stupid were one, two, three, four, five, six, and password, as I mentioned earlier. So, again, there's a lot of media around all the incidents overseas, especially in the US. Um, but there have actually been some headlines in, in our news, um, which might or might have might not have been noticed um, by you. I'm not too sure. So, the one of the bigger ones was. Um, uh, an incident, I can't remember, I think it was about a year or two ago as well, um, where there was a, a Dexter malware was on point of sale devices at a lot of fast food outlets um, and restaurant chains. But in particular, I think KFC was affected. 
And whilst um, we don't have confirmation of the, uh, the, the final figures that were involved, it apparently costs uh, quite a substantial money, tens of millions of rands, just to clean up and sort out the whole incident. There, there was no need to notify all the affected parties yet, so it, it actually costs a, lot, it costs a lot less than it would once Poppy is in place. Okay, uh, Paygate, they are a payment card processing uh, company. They also experienced a, a, a breach of credit and debit card details, but they did actually choose to notify all of the affected parties so as to minimize any, any consequences to those individuals, which is probably the better route to go. Um, I'm sure you heard of the Postbank heist, where 42 million rand was stolen out of um, Postbank's accounts. I think here it was also um, a compromise of an employee's uh, login credentials um, that resulted in this incident. Um, Zurich, I, I think you might have heard of that as well, where they, the, the backup tapes which were on their way to Metrofile, I can't remember what happened, either were stolen or fell off the back of the truck or something equally stupid. Um, and normally this wouldn't be an issue, especially when it happened here, it was quite a while back, but because of the fact that there were UK residents' information or, or details on those backup tapes, they were forced to notify, and their regulator imposed quite a substantial fine on them. So. Um, and, and if you have a look, I think the UK individual's details, there were 51,000 British records versus 550,000 South African records and 40,000 Botswanan records. But it, it, it had quite severe financial implications for Zurich. Um, so yeah, we are not immune. So what are your risk management options? So obviously passwords are normally you know, your weakest entry point. So having good password controls is very important. Um, equally important would be to actually uh, educate your employees and explain to them what the, the risks are to the organization and how they can, you know, be more aware of, of the potential incidents. Um, managing your assets. So it's very important to have an asset register to know about all your devices which are floating around um, and make sure that individuals actually report lost or stolen devices so that you know um, what you, yeah what you wouldn't know otherwise be knowing. Obviously, it's critical to protect the information uh, that goes without saying. I'm sure all the companies are at least doing that. I mean, you know, everybody spends quite a lot on their information security. Um, and then another important point is obviously your third-party management. So impose the same kind of standards on your third-party service providers that you're imposing upon yourself. Um, and make sure that your SLAs with them also protect you to a certain degree. So another option is risk transfer. Um, and this is now where cyber insurance policies are starting to emerge as a potential option. Um, they provide cover for such breaches, and all you're basically doing is transferring the response function to the insurer, who then picks up the tab, and all you are doing is paying a, a, a commensurate premium for this service. Um, they specifically tailor it to address these types of risks, whereas your, historically your policies have always been very much um, geared towards tangible risks and, and, and physical assets. This is now, you know, making that sort of transition into intangible um, perils and, and, and assets. And they have both first and third party cover elements to them. So they'll pick up all the costs that you would have to incur in responding to a breach, such as your crisis management, the notifications to affected parties, costs of a public relations campaign. They would pick up the tab for the forensic investigations which need to be conducted, um, data and services recovery, business interruption, obviously any third-party claims, as well as certain elements of fines and penalties. So the benefits, obviously, the initial actual 
risk assessment up front is quite valuable in itself, even if you don't end up buying the policy because it can provide valuable feedback to you in terms of security within your environment. Often they have other value added services which they provide the insurers, such as ongoing training, awareness and assessment tools. They sometimes assist you with breach response planning because this also minimizes their own claims. Um, they'll provide you with access to service providers who can, you know, fulfill this breach response function for you and obviously they should in theory be able to negotiate preferential rates and obviously they just manage the whole process from start to finish. Um, I think we're running out of a little bit of time. Um, th these are basically just findings from uh, a US service provider who deals with a lot of carriers there and I think it, the, the findings from the, the claims studies which they've conducted over the last three or four years are fairly interesting. Um, if we quickly have a look, generally there, I mean, you can see the average p claim payouts vary quite a lot from one year to the next, and it depends on whether you have like a target incident or an Ashley Madison incident within that information or not. So at the moment, these are still pretty volatile. Plus, there's also a tail because the liability claims of the more recent years um, have not really developed. Um, just in terms of a breakdown by the type of costs, you can see that the overriding um, element to the, the claims is the crisis services. So that's the notification to the affected parties, the remediation services you offer them, the forensic investigations. So it's really that breach response function is which, which is quite important and which um, the policyholders value the most. It doesn't often result in, in, in claims and litigation. Um, the number one cause of loss is, is hackers at 29%. However, if you add up rogue employees, together with staff mistakes, I think that comes to 32%. So if you just um, take sort of human, the human element, that's actually your number one cause of claim. But it, it depends on whether you want to split that into erroneous and, and malicious or not. Um, business sector makes sense. Your financial services are highly targeted. Your healthcare, because in the States there's a lot of fraud on people's medical um, aid accounts. That's not so prevalent here, but I'm sure it'll come at a certain stage where people want to go and get prescription meds on someone else's uh, account instead of paying for it out of their own pockets. Um, and then just again, the, the, you'll see here that the overriding um, sort of size company which is affected is, is your smaller companies in terms of the number of incidents. Okay, and then I just have another clip which I think is um, quite fun. Something a little bit different. It's not fun to have your two-ton SUV's brakes hacked just as you're parking in front of a ditch. <laughs> okay, hold on a Hold on. Oh. That's what I've learned from Charlie Miller and Chris Balasek, a pair of hackers who have spent the last year developing a piece of software that can wirelessly sabotage this 2014 Jeep Cherokee. It hasn't been altered in any way. There are no devices attached to it. But like many thousands of Jeeps around the world, it can be remotely hacked over the internet through a cellular connection to its entertainment system that would allow someone to take over its steering, its transmission, and even its brakes. To demonstrate that, I'm going to act as today's crash test dummy and drive it on the highway here in St. Louis while Charlie and Chris hijacked its digital systems from Charlie's house miles away. They wouldn't tell me what they had plans, but they assured me that it wouldn't be anything life-threatening. Remember, Andy, no matter what happens, don't panic. It's not the first time I've driven a car while it's being attacked by these two hackers. But in 2013, they were in the back seat, and the laptops were wired into the vehicle to report in its dashboard. Now they're sending the same sort of attacks remotely, and I have no idea what they might do. 
He's going as fast as I've seen him. So, so first we're going to turn the fan on him. Yeah, let's turn the fan on to see if he notices. All right, all the something just turned on all the fans and AC and stuff. I didn't do that. The trick started small. Oh my God! There's a picture of Charlie <laughs> in tracksuits just on the dashboard. But as I drove down the interstate, things started getting unpleasant and very loud. <laughs> slowed to a crawl. I turned on my hazard lights, but I was still stuck in the right lane with no shoulder to escape onto. Guys, I'm stuck on the highway. Oh, I think he's panicking. <laughs> it's so loud. Guys, I need the accelerator to work again. The accelerator will work. It won't work! <laughs> You're doomed. They say that hundreds of thousands of late model Chrysler vehicles may be vulnerable through a feature called Uconnect, an internet-connected computer in the dashboard known as its head unit. These cars, head units, expose a particular service that probably they, they didn't want to. Um, it lets you do things like query it for information, like the GPS or the VIN or, or all sorts of other things, but it also lets you just run commands. So you have to first break into the car remotely over the cell network and then move laterally uh, if you want to do things like send CAN messages. And those are the messages that we can use to control things like steering or the windshield wipers or braking. They plan to release a portion of their exploit code at the annual Black Hat Hacker Conference <laughs> next month. They've also alerted Chrysler, which is issuing a security patch. But they say a lot more needs to be done to protect a new generation of cars that are increasingly connected to the internet and potentially hackable. You guys basically brought, brought this car to a standstill while I was driving on the highway, which I may never forgive you for. <laughs> and, uh, that was just like an experiment. What do you think is the worst case scenario? We wanted to point out, you know, to show that this attack is, has serious consequences for this vehicle. And so we did, you know, attack you. <laughs> but we, we did it in as safe ways we could, so we, we didn't want you to get hurt, obviously. That's why we're working, is to make sure that we, we figure out vulnerabilities, weaknesses, get them fixed. We're only, we're only two guys with one car, right? So, you know, we can't look at every car, and we want to release this information because more people like us need to be focused on this problem. After their stunt on the highway, Chris and Charlie still wanted to show me a couple of other tricks. Below a certain speed, they can control the Jeep steering as long as it's in reverse pop its locks, mess with the speedometer, and, of course, disable the brakes. Okay, hold on tight. Hold on. Oh, He's not getting out of that. Uh, we're going to do some push. That's how you drive in the Midwest. New York 
So, needless to say, those boys have won the Black Hat competition a couple of years for yeah, all of their, um, their exploits. Um, but it just, it just demonstrates, sorry, now I've kind of gone right back to the beginning. It just demonstrates that companies are often trying to, you know, that they're trying to achieve, um, you know, better market shares and uh, through technological advancement, more and more things are becoming connected. Um, we all know about, you know, automated cars. I mean, that's going to become a reality probably within the next deca decade or two. But with these things, there's an, a huge amount of risk which is being introduced, which I think nobody is giving enough thought to. Thank you. Right. Thanks a lot. Very interesting.